You choose Columbus Business First every week to give you the inside industry intelligence for nearly every business sector in central Ohio. And Columbus Business First chose Crate Media as its official podcast partner for its unique show, Women of Influence, now 70 episodes strong. With 4 million shows, hundreds of millions of listeners, and industry advertising revenues approaching $4 billion, podcasting is the fastest growing audio medium in the U.S. From law to medical, construction to automotive, retail to real estate, every brand has a story. Let Crate Media help tell yours. Visit crate.media slash CBF to learn more about how we can help while receiving a free one-hour casting session with our expert producers, which will help to uncover and shape your company's branded podcast. To learn more about sponsoring Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast, please email Advertising Director Steve Hewitt at shewitt at bizjournals.com to get started. That's S-H-E-W-I-T-T at bizjournals.com. First off, Joanna, uh, just tell me a little bit about you. Where did you grow up um, and how did you make your way to Columbus? I grew up in Circleville, Ohio, just south of Columbus. Uh, so Columbus was always our cultural home. I remember taking uh, swim lessons up here, art classes uh, on the weekends at CCAD, going to the symphony as a child and actually being part of the Columbus Symphony Youth Orchestra when I was in high school. And my parents would drive me up here for that. Both of my parents are from Jackson, Ohio. So most of our roots are in Southern Ohio, but this was our cultural home. So it just was a, a natural fit, not to mention if you're um, our professional football team in Southern Ohio is the Ohio State. <laughs> um, so this was um, just always a place, Central Ohio, that we called home. How long were you, you know, interested in engineering? That's obviously your background. Kind of, did you always know that's what you wanted to do? You know, I I don't know that I ever thought I was going to be an engineer. I actually had this dream to go to Harvard Law School when I was in middle school. I even had these athletic shorts that said Harvard on them. I don't even know where my mom would have found those but um, I do remember in eighth grade and career day the Air Force coming in to our middle school and talking to us in history class about the future of technology and how and of course back then I don't think I understood what he was saying and now I eat it and breathe it but that things that get commercialized out of research and developmental technology in the Department of Defense that there's going to be this huge need for engineers and and people who know how to like design and build things in the future, right? So it's the secure job and um, it's really good at math and science, um, always excelled in those areas when, when I was tested and it just seemed like my um, educational track people then kept steering me towards engineers and because there was a big, big demand mm-hmm. um, back in the 90s. So it just was a good fit and um, loved being outdoors. Um, most of the people in my family are tradesmen Spent a lot of time on construction sites growing up. And so um, somehow I connected with an amazing uh, program at Ohio Northern University in civil engineering and the rest was history. That's a, it's a field where, uh, I mean, I guess a lot of fields are, but was it unique for you to be the woman in the room? And is it still (laughs) unique for you to be the woman in the room in your field? Well, sure. I think, um, I don't know the statistics overall, but I, I think they are getting getting better, although I think I've read that um, only about 12% of women in engineering end up staying, which is a, a pretty low number. Oh, sure. Um, I remember there was one other woman in my class, <laughs> and then there was also a woman in the um, mechanical engineering track, uh, which ran parallel to mine, and I don't know if um, 
if we really clicked from a personality standpoint or if it was strength in numbers. <laughs> uh, but, but she and I um, became friends our sophomore year of college and we're um, best friends to this day. We talk every wow. single day and we have for um, 22 years. Well, it, finds, it sounds like one of the answers might be finding a buddy, but sort of how, how do you cope might be the wrong word, but you know, are, are there challenges that come from feeling unique in a field in that way? And sort of how do you deal with that or, or what approach do you take? You know, I, I've been really blessed to have great mentors, primarily men, as you might imagine in my field, but also some women along the way, especially later in my career. I don't know how to say this other than I guess it didn't really phase me because I was so accustomed to it. You know, I was the first, the first girl put into advanced placement classes in our school system when I was in third grade. And I, I played violin starting at age six. And uh, my mother, I remember, had to negotiate with the teachers every single year to let me take my lessons in the morning and I would go to school late. And so there just was an early emphasis put into my life by my parents that like, if there's something you want to do or that you can do, there's nothing stopping you. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't have that mental barrier in my mind. I would say it took a lot of learning and emotional maturity on my part later to realize that not everyone gets that support. Uh, I see it uh, with my nieces. I see it with people that I mentor where they're told they can't. Mm -hmm. And they're told they can't from a very early age, either explicitly or I think the bigger challenge for us as a society is we don't realize how much implicit bias we put on women at a very young age. Mm -hmm. right? like, so I was very fortunate that that or I'm a, maybe a little stubborn too, because if you tell me I can't, I'll find a way to prove you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, has that informed, you talked about kind of how you learned, you know, more of what challenges other people might face. How, how has that informed you in your career at CODA or at some of your, your previous jobs, the way you look at gender parity, the way you look at women on your team, sort of any of that, or, you know, more broadly as a manager. Sure. So in my early years, I would say I did not have the confidence, nor did I give enough credence to explicitly supporting others who face uh, racial or gender bias. I was pretty busy uh, taking care of myself and just struggling through figuring out how to make my own way. Um, and now that I've held positions of influence, uh, I find it quite inspiring to be able to be a spokesperson and to create a safe place for other people. So the last organization I oversaw, TRC, incorporated the test track up by the Honda facilities, now has a women's business uh, resource group that um, we began forming just as I was leaving. And I was their um, first speaker. So I got to go back and see my former employees and talk to them about my journey in my career and share with them. And it was amazing. I mean, I had, I had women who came up to me and said, I've worked here for 18 years. I've been in the automotive industry and no one ever told me it was okay to just be me. You know, they were always trying to fit themselves into a mold and, and that causes a lot of conflict for people. So doing that there, working on setting up um, a business resource group here at CODA as well. Uh, we'll start meeting in person whenever we can. <laughs> we were just <laughs> ready to launch uh, when COVID hit. I've taken on, personally, I always take on um, a mentoring relationship with someone. It's, it's interesting. It's not a formal program, but every once in a while, I uh, had a, a friend of mine who's a professor at Road State College up in Lima and said, I've got this young woman. She's a single mom uh, student. 
and she reminds me of you 20 years ago, would you mind mentoring her? So I, I drive up to Bell Fountain uh, every once in a while and just meet with her, take her lunch. We chat via text. Uh, she's now got a great career in construction. She's having a blast. So just finding ways to connect with people. I was really uncomfortable early on kind of addressing the whole women's issues because I felt like, especially for those who do not see the disparity, it's a really polarizing conversation. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there is a way that you have to engage people and meet them where they are and help them understand that the privilege that they have been afforded doesn't exist for everyone. I also want to say that I have lived here for, let's see, a little about a year and a half. And this is the first time that I have learned how to pronounce Belfinton. But how'd you say? <laughs> oh my gosh. Bell Fountain. Bell Fountain. Okay. I had <laughs> when I lived in, um, I lived in uh, Nashville before this, and I actually did a story about some uh, business owners who were from Ohio, and they had lived in Bell Fountain. And I, uh, saw, so I saw it written many times, and I had no idea how I was supposed to <laughs> <laughs> So if you were pronouncing it, I don't even know how you pronounced it, but if you say that, or if you say Bella Fontaine, then people will know you're not from there. That's that's what I would have done is the uh, Bella Fontaine. So get back on track. Okay. So, so we talked a little bit about mentorship and the, uh, in the industry, mm -hmm. um, going back a little bit more specifically into your career. So you've been CEO of Coda for how long now? Two years. It was two, two years. years last week. Oh, uh, what a great time to celebrate an anniversary. Prior to coronavirus, what were you proudest of that you had accomplished in, in your initial tenure there? Um, I was brought on, in my prior roles, I was largely known as being the person in central Ohio and really in um, some of our state leadership and in, in national circles as far as understanding um, mobility changes and changes in the automotive industry and, and how kind of like a subject matter expert in mobility. And so when I was recruited to CODA, the board was very clear that they wanted a leader who could help the organization pivot. So I'm really proud in that first two years, we, we did a lot of things. We, we put together the first strategic plan ever in the history of CODA. Yeah. It has uh, four guiding principles of how we choose, how we will you know, realign ourselves to serve the customer. And all of those guiding principles are centered around the concept of equity, diversity, and inclusion for everyone. And that was a really interesting debate that was held during the strategic planning process because most people you know, want to put like EDI or DEI initiatives over here and then check a box. What happened when we surveyed and had discussions with more than 20% of our employees, more than 20% of our 1,200 employees, and then externally with community leaders, it became really clear that our mission to serve others with mobility has to take into account what that person is dealing with or what that person is facing. So we have to make sure we are being equitable uh, when making choices. And so I'm really proud that our strategic plan, I think most strategic plans for a company, you know, might have these goals and these targets and they might be solely revenue-based or service-based, but we, we centered it around the human and human dignity. Uh, so I'm really proud of that. I'm also proud of the fact that two years running pre-COVID, um, I helped lead the team to uh, record increases in ridership, record increases in uh, winning grant awards, winning 
financial grants that we've never been successful at in um, the past 40 years, expanded our service territory, launched three new services. There was a lot of upswing, uh, including winning number one transit system in the nation for Midsize City. So those are some things I'm proud of and really helping the team believe in themselves and feel like they can do anything. And I'll tell you, those kind of conversations, um, that's, that's how I operate on a normal day. No one could have ever told me how important that would be when it comes to crisis time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, and we've talked about this already some, but you know, I would, I would normally ask sort of what are, what are your goals now? And those goals have, you know, really been upended, but talk a little bit about that of, of um, how you're still pursuing some of the things you, you would have wanted to be pursuing anyway and, and how coronavirus has changed what your goals are. You know, we will have to reprioritize our goals. You know, one thing we'd already been debating prior to COVID, so in the mobility industry, ridership, number of trips was always this really big metric. It was really important. It was kind of your number one thing you track. It was, it was a measure of your productivity. And I really think we need to shift to outcomes. So we know we won't be giving as many trips this year because of forces outside of our control. But did the outcomes improve? Do we know that the mobility we provided made sure someone ate, that someone was employed, that someone was able to visit a loved one, access healthcare, uh, and eventually as we come back online that that person could access all of the important things in our community, the arts and the entertainment and the things that really fill our human souls. So I'm really eager to uh, reorient our business practices to track outcomes better. Interesting. That's obviously been a huge, I used to be a healthcare reporter and, you know, that's been mm-hmm. something that industry has been talking about forever is, is mm-hmm. from how many services are we doing to, are we making people healthier? So interesting to see that playing out. Is that a conversation that, that is happening in the industry more broadly or, or was happening prior to this crisis? Or, you know, do you, how, essentially how achievable do you think it is to make that change in the way you think about metrics? Uh, I do think it's a conversation that's been happening um, nationally, certainly at a much slower pace than the rest of the globe. I mean, there, there are countries that already have figured this out where they understand that a person's mobility, you know, impacts their economic mobility and their social mobility. There's even countries that track uh, happiness quotients, you know, <laughs> because we know we can tie that back to uh, people being healthier and wealthier and more prosperous. So even though we're, I'd say about a decade behind when it comes to like that, actually taking that way of thinking and integrating it into our infrastructure systems in America, um, I think we were uniquely positioned because of how people pull together in central Ohio. So people here, we have a lot of assets, we have universities, intellectuals, incredible businesses, great nonprofits who were already looking at the great economic success we were having. How do we capitalize on these resources? So I think it's a little unique to Central Ohio, but I do see that conversation. I sit on the Intelligent Transportation Systems of America board. Um, So I see that happening across automotive and government sectors already. I also see it with um, a lot of the work going on here in our community. Um, Some of the boards I serve on, I serve on the, the mayor and Director Gallagher's new Vision Zero. Like there's absolutely no reason that a person should die due to a crash, you know, a pedestrian in Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that um, I'm seeing that shift due to a lot of uh, collaboration here, especially in central Ohio. Shifting gears a little bit, 
what do you do to unwind after a stressful day, which I'm sure you've had many of over the last two months? Am I allowed to sit past? It's kind of just <laughs> um, I would say that's one area of my life I definitely need to improve. I love to run, not doing enough of it right now. I love to read. Nothing like a good book. I'm in the middle of four books right now. And my kids. I absolutely love my kids. Um, I have two teenage boys who I, I, I cannot believe how much I love them and how much they drive me crazy. At the same time. <laughs> so I love investing in them and the things that they're passionate about. So that's kind of my routine. I, um, I'm already ready for my Saturday morning run. Uh-huh. Well, that's good. Hopefully the weather is finally nice for good now. So we can uh, yeah. all have it's a little... It's looking up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, think we... A run this past Saturday on the river here in Columbus, uh, downtown. And it was amazing. It was still a little chilly, but just that little bit of sunshine. Mm -hmm. How many people were out. And then trying to figure out how to run and social distance at the same <laughs> yeah. time. It's like, wow, this is a lot harder than it used to be. <laughs> yes. It's the, uh, I would, we live right by the Olentangy Trail. And so it's been nice to have the trail and have access to that. But especially when there's a lot of bicycles out there, it can be a little tricky mm -hmm. when you're walking because you've got to be moving for the bikes. And then uh, there's yeah. just a lot of high intensity. But I think we're all figuring it out. Yeah. What types of things do you read? Do you read mostly for pleasure? Are you reading a lot of business books? Or Yeah, I try and alternate. So I said I'm in the middle of four books right now. I, I love historical fiction. Uh, read a lot of business books, but more, not so much on like business strategy, but more about emotional intelligence and, and like what it takes to be optimal performer. I, th I think one of the, my most favorite books I've read ever, and it just happens to be recently, was uh, Questions Are the Answer. Um, I think it was Hal Gregerson, maybe, who wrote that book. And as I read it, I thought, this is me. I mean, I'm like writing in the margins, underlining things, um, because I have always questioned things. Mm -hmm. always. And I remember from a very early age, my teachers in the Alpha program saying that that's what's, what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to question everything. And then that led to a, a life of learning and design thinking around looking at problems and just assuming that there is a solution. And, and I find it, I find it a little bit of a struggle, particularly nowadays. I feel like everything uh, is so commoditized that people are encouraged not to question. Mm -hmm. Like they just, they just do. So I like to read books like that. And then I, I bring them into work and I pass them out. So, you know, I might be talking to someone who's like, oh, I'm having this. I'm like, I got the book for you. Right. So mm -hmm. I have uh, my own little personal library here at work. And, um, we're, we're also, you know, pre-COVID again, the Columbus Metropolitan Library here in town um, had agreed to open up some library and e-reading stations here at CODA and our different facilities. Oh, cool. Because um, I noticed most of our operators, almost, so we've got about 800 of them. Um, I'll, I, I try and talk to as many people as I can in a day, just get a pulse for um, what morale's like, what people are dealing with. And almost every one of our operators has a book in their hand. Mm -hmm. or in their um, backpack because they have these long breaks in between shifts. So I think it's just a, a great way to reach people and open your mind. I miss, I certainly miss the library. I feel like, yeah. you know, there's a lot of what, what do you miss and don't you miss? And, but it's just hard when I want a book, but I can't just go get it. So have you tried any of their new e-readers um, apps that you can download on your phone? No, I haven't. It's not the same, but it's, yeah. still, it's still worth it. I, um, I have one phone in my book, one phone in my car, uh, one phone by my, or I'm sorry, not phone, one, one book. book. Yeah, one book on my phone, one book uh -huh. in my car, one book by my bed, and then 
I have another book that I carry around in my backpack. So no matter where uh-huh. I am, I, I, even if I just get a couple pages in. Uh-huh. You're prepared. Yeah. I did the, um, the book loft is doing that mystery box of books. Uh, oh, I haven't heard but, about this. Yeah. You pay them like 70 bucks, uh, which is kind of a lot of money, but uh, you get a lot of books <laughs> <laughs> and you just put in the notes, like the genres that you like, and then they okay. send you a box of books. So That's we pretty find- awesome. Yeah, we've not gotten ours yet, but I'm excited um, okay. to see what's in there. So, because I'm sort of in between things right now, but I downloaded an audiobook, but I don't really have that many opportunities to listen to audiobooks since I'm not commuting. And I still prefer just an old fashioned paper book. I yeah. really do. Well, let's see. I think the kind of the last question that I like to end on is, and it's it's a trickier world that they're entering now, but if you were talking to a young woman just graduating from college, starting her career, who, who hoped to kind of follow in your footsteps, what's the biggest piece of advice that you would give her? Don't let other people define you. It never, in my wildest dreams, when I was in college for engineering, did I think about being the CEO of a company. Two years ago, if you would have told me I'd be running a transit agency, I would have told you you're crazy. 10 years prior to that, if you would have said a civil engineer who understands infrastructure would be in the automotive industry, I never would have guessed that. So never let others define you. I think that's particularly true for women Mm -hmm. um, because there's all these signals that are telling you how you should look, how you should feel, how you should respond. And those pressures aren't going to go away anytime soon. I'm I'm sad to say I still experience them myself every day from friends, family, and the business environment. So you're going to have to decide what you want and be open to opportunity. I have not applied for a job which is probably an odd thing for people to hear. Like uh-huh. I, opportunities have presented themselves. And if you're open to them, a conversation with someone usually leads to understanding what it is you think you may need. So just be open because you just never know when opportunities are going to present themselves. And you're going to have to be bold mm-hmm. and believe in yourself because um, nobody's going to do it for you. Well, that's great. That's, a, I think, an excellent nugget of wisdom to leave people with so um and i really appreciate you uh being so generous with your time and chatting with uh, me today so thank you joanna it was great to talk it was great speaking with you as well thanks for uh your time